Philippians chapter 3. It's so been such a good day. I've appreciated each of you and opportunities to fellowship with you and uh, tell a little bit more about what's happening on our campus. Uh, one of the great joys I have is in these moments getting to hear our worship team from campus come and lead us. And uh, it's kind of just a small little taste of what God is doing in our campus through our students and through our faculty. Uh, it's an exciting day at NOBTS, and we're deeply grateful for God's favor to us, the way he is sustaining us, the way he is uh, allowing us to thrive and flourish and have great joy in the mission that you all have given to us. And so thank you for your continued support and being here with us today. I want to pick up where we left off this morning. I want to, I've made two points to you this morning from Philippians chapter 3 in terms of what it means to be in pursuit of Christ and his kingdom. I said to you earlier this morning that number one, it means that you put no trust in yourself or your accomplishments. I said to you, number two, that it means that you seek Christ as your greatest reward. And now today, this afternoon, I want to add two more points to it from the text as we pick up where we left off. As a running start, picking up where we left off, start with me in verse 7. We're going to go through verse number 14. But what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am perfected, but I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have already apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Great God in heaven, how we need you in every regard. Lord, we need you in the ministries that you've called us to perform. We need you in our own personal lives to continue the work of renewal, restoration, and regeneration. We need your wisdom as we navigate difficult circumstances and hot topics. Lord, we need you physically as health wanes and departs from us. Lord, most of all, Lord, we need you because there's nothing else in this world that can satisfy us. We need every single day the deep, soul-satisfying joy of communion with you. Because, Lord, in front of our very eyes, this world is becoming less charming to us. And so, Lord, would you turn our hearts to you in all things? Would you help us to see where we really stand? And, Lord, would you give us great spiritual energy 
to strive forward for you and for your kingdom. Lord, God, I pray that this won't just be another message and that this won't just be another business meeting, but God, would you do a work in us? Lord Jesus, we need you and we love you. And we long, Lord, now for you. Jesus' precious, holy, and righteous name, we pray. Amen. What does it mean to pursue him? I said to you earlier today that it can be the case for us, none of us would ever intend for it to be the case, but that we can get so wrapped up in, caught up in, consumed by the busyness and the complexities and the difficulties of our ministries, that we lose sight of the very reason we're here in the first place. All of the lights and the platforms can come to charm us And we lose sight of that first love. What does it mean then to pursue Christ? Well, it means that I don't put confidence in myself or any of my accomplishments, anything that I bring to the table. Maybe just maybe God picked me, not because of my strengths, but because of my weaknesses. That though I am weak in Christ, I find strength and am strong. Maybe he picks those who are weak because we can stand and say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, for the grace of God is sufficient for us. To pursue Christ means not only that I don't trust in myself or my accomplishments, it also means that I make Christ my greatest reward. Indeed, here's the vision that I'll just lay before you. This is what Paul is saying to us in verse number 7 through verse number 11. This man who had accomplished everything that would ever charm the world, he was at the pinnacle of his religious career and accomplishments. He was the guy that everybody wanted to be. And yet what Paul found is what many of us find with increasing intensity every day. That no matter what stage you stand on or what light might shine upon you, no matter how many people may know your name, celebrate you, tweet about you, or give you applause, that this world increasingly more is less and less charming to us. And at every passing day, Paul found himself letting go of this world and grabbing a hold to Christ a little bit more, understanding and knowing that Christ was in fact the greatest reward of all. Now I say to you two other things from the text that I think Paul is pointing to. What does it mean to pursue Christ? Well, it means those first two things I mentioned to you this morning and now a third. To pursue Christ means that you recognize that you're not yet who you're supposed to be or where you're supposed to be. Listen to what Paul says in verse number 12. He says, not that I have already attained or that I am perfected. In verse number 13, he says, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. In what way then had he not attained? In what way had he not been perfected? And in what way had he not, in fact, apprehended? It was in all of the things that he described in verse number seven down through verse number 11. I've counted all things lost for Christ, he says, that I might say at the end of verse 8, might gain Christ. And note here the contrast between all that he had achieved and that he was in the eyes of the world, but now that he seeks after and longs to own in Christ. He says that I might gain Christ, verse 9, be found in him, not having a righteousness which is of, of the law, 
but a righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. In short, Paul knew that no matter what tribe he was born into, no matter what day he was circumcised, no matter how zealous he was for the law, that none of his righteousnesses were anything other than what Isaiah said, filthy rags. And the righteousness that he could achieve through keeping the law was nothing in comparison to the righteousness that he could own through Jesus Christ by faith. A righteousness that comes from God accomplished in the life of his spotless Savior. My dear friends, when we compare ourselves, no matter where we stand in our journey, for some of us, we've been on this journey just a short time. And for others, you've been on this journey for many, many decades. For most of us, we've come out of things and into the light. But my dear friends, no matter who you are and no matter how far you've come, when we look at our Lord Jesus Christ, we see something comparably different from us. And the righteousness that God seeks to accomplish in me and in you is represented in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I can never own that. I can never achieve that by my own prayers, by my sermons, by my good deeds, by my conformity to any kind of rule. It is only through and in Jesus Christ that we can have that. And my dear friends, when I look at myself, my dear friends, when I look at us, there is still so much of what Christ is that we are not. There's a temptation in our life and our ministry because we've come so far. And there's a temptation in our life and ministry because we stand in stewardship over souls. We shepherd the flock of God that is among us. We guide them and teach them how to pray. We teach them how to read their Bible. We teach them how to share their faith. We walk with them to come out of sin. And because of the work we do, it might be a temptation for all of us to think that we have arrived where we're supposed to be. But no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been in Christ, the journey continues. And with Paul, we must embrace the reality that we have not yet attained. We must embrace the reality that we have not been perfected. We must embrace the reality that we've not apprehended what Christ has for us. And when we recognize that we're not yet who we're supposed to be, we continue to pursue. There are sometimes we just begin to think we've made it, don't we? You remember the story, the Pharisee and the tax collector, Luke chapter 18, you remember this story? Jesus tells this parable, the two men go into the temple to pray, one of them a Pharisee and one of them a tax collector and the Pharisee prays to God this way, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I tithe and I pay taxes and I give to the poor and I pray and I fast and I do all of those things, but the wretched tax collector the despised one, the despicable one, the Bible says that he would not so much as lift his eyes up to heaven. He stood afar off and when he finally did speak in the presence of God, all he could muster from his heart is as he banged on his chest, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And there was something deeply satisfying to our God about that posture and about that prayer as compared to the one who had arrived. God the Father, Christ the Son took delight 
and the humility and the recognition that he was not yet who he was supposed to be, that he was still on that journey and on that pursuit. I got to tell you, in my life at least, I don't know that I can speak for you, but I spend an awful lot of my life in the family, so I think I might have a little bit of a clue. But I'll just say on my behalf, there's an awful lot of times in my life that I think I've become who I'm supposed to be. And it's an easy thing to do, given the titles, given the accomplishments, and all of those things, but compared to my Lord Jesus Christ, I'm still so much not like him. And the recognition of that produces in my heart a brokenness and a pursuit. Part of what it means to pursue Christ is to say with Paul in verse 12 and to say with Paul in verse number 13 that I'm not yet who I'm supposed to be, but I do press on, which brings me to the last and final point I want to make here this afternoon about what it means to pursue Christ. Number one, it means that you tr don't trust in yourself or your own accomplishments. It means that you make Christ your greatest reward and satisfaction. It means thirdly, that you recognize you're not yet who you're supposed to be. And fourthly and finally, it means that you seek the life that Christ purchased for you. There's this statement in verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained or been perfected, but now this, listen, but I press on. Press on for what? Listen to this. Here's the statement. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Do you hear that? Christ gave himself to purchase for me. He gave himself to purchase for you something. He bought by his blood, by his cross, by his crucifixion, in his death, in his suffering, in his separation from the Father in that moment. Christ was not just redeeming and restoring. He was purchasing with his own blood something for me. Quite literally, Christ gives himself in full in full to purchase for me and for you. Something that you and I may possess and own. Christ gave himself completely to purchase it, to lay hold of it for me. And how apathetically I reciprocate that pursuit. How dinky, how pitiful, how weak is my counter-pursuit of that same thing that he laid hold for me. Paul says, recognizing that he's not yet who he's supposed to be, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. I haven't yet attained. I haven't yet been perfected. I haven't apprehended, but I press. For what? For that for which Christ Jesus died and laid hold for me. So let's talk turkey for a minute. What in fact did Jesus give his blood for? Shed his blood, give his life to purchase for me and for you. I can think of a couple things. Paul seems to be alluding to a couple of them in the paragraph right above. Think about it. Not a righteousness of his own, but a righteousness which is through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a fellowship in his spirit and there's even conformity in death. There's three things right there. There's a couple more when we round it out from the whole of scripture. Let me point to a couple things that Christ 
died to achieve for me that you and I must press on towards and for? What is it that Christ laid hold of through the purchase of his blood for me? Number one, holiness. Listen, Christ died for me not to give me a free meal ticket in heaven. Not merely at least. Yes, positionally, he justifies me such that the father now looks at me through the blood of his son and he sees innocence and he sees holiness, a righteousness, which is not by our keeping of the law, but a righteousness that Jesus Christ has achieved for us. Yes, there is that, but that's not it. Listen, God's grace to us is not just superficial like that. It doesn't Just clean us up enough so that we can now go to church and be acceptable. No, the grace of God runs deep down into our lives, into the nooks and the crannies of our soul, into the dark places, the secret things. The secret places and there in the darkness and in the secret parts of our heart and our soul, grace runs deep and transformation takes place. My friends, don't we long Don't we long to see a day in our own lives where we don't want the things we shouldn't want? And we don't seek the things we shouldn't seek, but we rather turn our hearts to the one who's truly satisfying and delight in him. That kind of holiness, Lord Jesus, bring it in me. Lord Jesus, bring it in us. Christ Jesus gave himself to purchase That kind of holiness for me. He gave himself completely and yet how weakly we reciprocate. Paul says, I press on for that. You can just see it there metaphorically at least as a Paul just reaching forward for Christ, for Christ, for Christ because Christ is the one that is the salve and the medicine for my soul to make me whole and complete and holy. It's holiness But Christ also died to lay hold for me and for you usefulness. I mentioned it this morning. Why God pick you? (laughs) He tends to pick the nothings, the nobodies, the scoundrels, the forgottens, the leftovers, the marginalized, the weak things, the foolish things of this world. That's why he picked them. And guess what he does with it? He takes people like me. He takes people like you. I mean, you're looking at a guy that couldn't give a book report in middle school and high school. You're looking at a guy who failed two grades. Because I could not read. That's the guy that God picks. Those are the people that he redeems and restores. And guess what he does? He puts a burden in their soul. He puts a message in their heart and in their mouth. And he thrusts them forward into the darkness. And the message of the cross is preached and proclaimed through broken, useless people like you and like me. And all of a sudden the redeemed stand up having had for themselves and in themselves no fruitful utility whatsoever in their life. But now through the grace, the mercy, and the power of Jesus Christ, their life takes on usefulness for something that actually matters. Your riches, your power, and your fame will be forgotten. Rest assured, my dear brothers and sisters, I don't care how high you climb. I don't care which stages you stand on, me including. There will come a day when this world will forget our names. But the work that we do by preaching and proclaiming Christ into the darkness is a work that has eternal fruit. That's the redemption of Christ. Christ died to lay hold of that for me, a a holiness that I can have in and through him, a usefulness that I can have in and through him, a joy 
that I can have in and through him. Jesus said it this way, because let's face it, my friends, the call on my life and the call on your life, you've lived it. And he's calling you to live it still now. The call is lay down your life. Take up your cross and follow him. Jesus said this, while that sounds stark and that sounds drastic and that sounds so deeply sacrificial, Jesus would go on to say, and he who would lose his life for my sake, what? We'll find it. That is to say there's a life and there's a joy in Christ that we could never understand in this world. There's holiness, there's usefulness, there's joy, there's death. Pause, listen to this. This can only make sense once you find out and discover the real value and worth of Jesus Christ. Whatever things were gained to me, I count them as lost that I might gain Christ. Verse 10, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection. Watch this. The fellowship of his sufferings. That I might be conformed to his death. There's a death for me. There's a death for you that is Christ honoring and Christ glorifying. And only when we understand the surpassing worth of our Lord Jesus Christ does that death now become for us charming. There's also, last of all, a reward. Listen, this is what the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, because some of you are in hard places and I'm almost done, I promise. Some of you are in hard places doing hard ministries. It causes you to weep. It causes your wife to weep. It causes your children to question whether or not God's even real. You stand in hard places doing hard things all the time and it's hard and it's soul-sapping work. Romans chapter 8, verse number 18. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. This is against the broad backdrop of God's people suffering for righteousness sake. But hear this, there is a promise for us. The promise is this, that there is coming a day, my friend, a day that you are not yet in, a day that you can hardly even imagine. But the promise of the gospel is this, there is coming a day for me and for you when every trial and every difficulty and every sorrow and every pain and every backlash and every stressful moment, every tear is going to be worth it all as we behold the Lamb. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm not yet that man, but I'm pressing to that. That for which Jesus died to lay hold for me. I'm going to press on to lay hold on it with him. Louisiana Baptist, let's do that. Lord Jesus, you're worth everything. Help us to see it. Give us eyes to see it. Minds to understand it. Help us to be a people that actually genuinely believe all this stuff. Then go give our lives accordingly. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.